So good morning to you all once again, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is New Year's Day, so once again, Happy New Year. It's the beginning of a brand new year, and many people look forward to New Year's Day as a time of, of a new beginning, a time to make resolutions and make this new year of 2023 better than the past year of 2022. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. We have all had things in the past year that we wish we had done better. There are things that happened in the last year that maybe we wish had had a different outcome. And to look ahead to the new year with hope for better things, hey, that's a good thing to do. But when we go about doing this, we need to always remember that our hope for all things good is in the Lord. It's not in ourselves, and it's not in our fellow man, because just like us, our fellow man is not perfect. In fact, our fellow man is infallible. Fallible, I should say. <laughs> a story has been told about a man whose entire life had been devoted to science and learning. Now this man was riding in a ferry boat, and he was talking to another man, and this other man appeared to be, well, let's just say not very well educated. So this educated man asked him if he knew about geology. And he said, well, no, I don't. So the man replied, well, then, one-fourth of your life has been wasted. It's just gone. He then asked him if he knew about biology. And he said, no, no, I've never studied that. And he said, well, now one-half of your life is wasted. It's just gone. He then asked him if he knew anything about zoology. And the man said, no, no, I've never studied that either. And he said, okay. Three-quarters of your life is wasted. It's just gone. About that time, a large wave hit the ferry boat, knocking this educated man into the water. The uneducated man shouted out to him, Do you know how to swim? And the man hollered back, No, no, I don't. He said, Well, then, all of your life is wasted. It's gone. This man who was struggling in the water was really, really educated about a lot of things. He had studied all kinds of things, but he didn't know the one thing that could save him. And that's an extremely important thing for people to know. And the question we all need to ask ourselves, first of all, is individually, do I know the one thing that can save me? And that brings us, friends, to the cross of Christ. Because having faith in Jesus' death on the cross and his rising from the grave, that is what saves us. It is what grants us forgiveness and eternal life. So I thought as we venture into this new year together, and as it is Communion Sunday, I thought it might be good for us to go back to the cross this morning and spend some time there remembering what Christ has done for us, what he has accomplished for us on the cross but we also need to remember and understand that because of what he has accomplished for us, we are now called as his church to let him accomplish his will in us and through us. When we come to the Lord's table together, as we will do in just a little bit this morning, we listen to the story of our Lord's suffering death for us as it's given in the Holy Scriptures. We then hear the invitation of our Lord to come to him for all that we need. In our scripture reading from Isaiah 53 this morning, we read of the, of the prophecy of the suffering and death of God's promised 
Messiah, the one who was known in the Old Testament as the suffering servant. We read that he would be despised and rejected by men, that he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, that he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, that he was pierced for our transgressions, that he was crushed for our iniquities, that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is the prophecy of the cross of Christ, looking forward to what would happen. That's the Old Testament prophecy. So for this morning, I would ask now that we would turn to the New Testament where we read of what actually happened at the cross. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. And I invite you to please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word this morning. This morning I'll be in John chapter 19. And I'll be reading verses... 16 through 37. I know this sounds like a long passage, but um, it's very important that we read this. 16 kind of splits, at least in the Pew Bibles, that splits there, so I'm going to start at the beginning of it. It's on page 768 for those who are following along. Finally, Pilate handed him, Jesus, over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. 
These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look upon the one they have pierced. O Lord, as we spend some time at the cross today, open our eyes anew to what you went through for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved. And may our worship of you again, Lord, rise up and touch your throne. I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning, we gather together to remember what God has done for us in sending his son to be the sacrifice for our sins, as we read about in the scriptures. I think we're all familiar with the story of our Lord's suffering and death for us. We hear the story at least once a month as we gather at the Lord's table together for Holy Communion, and we've just heard it again from John's Gospel. This morning I would like for us to focus on one aspect of our Lord's suffering and death for us as we prepare to come to the Lord's table together. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus has an encounter with a man named Zacchaeus. And in verse 10, Jesus tells Zacchaeus and everyone else who could hear, he told him the reason that he came to earth as a man, what we have just celebrated during Christmas. Jesus told him this, he said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This was Jesus' mission here on earth, to seek and to save the lost. And during the course of his three-year ministry, Jesus healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he even raised the dead, he taught people about God's love, he showed love to the unlovely, and he sought out the lost. In fact, we have four different accounts of Jesus' life and ministry that spell out the type of things that Jesus did to fulfill this mission. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell of Jesus' ministry to seek and to save the lost. The ultimate fulfillment of his mission came when he died on the cross for the sins of mankind and was then raised from the dead, conquering death on our behalf so that we could have eternal life with him one day in heaven. That's what we remember and celebrate this morning. Jesus' death and his resurrection that fulfilled his mission to seek and to save what was lost. But we also see in the scriptures that after Jesus rose from the dead, he eventually ascended into heaven where he sits right now at the right hand of God awaiting his return. While here on earth, he carried out his mission to seek and to save the lost. But before he ascended into heaven, he passed that same mission on to us. He commissioned those whom he had called to follow him. He commissioned them to continue his mission in his name. He commissioned the church to preach the gospel, to seek the lost, to minister to the sick and wounded, to be in constant prayer, and to love the unlovely in his name. And I would put it to you this morning that on the day of his crucifixion, there were four nails that were driven into his cross that forever changed how God would minister to a world that was lost and dying. As Jesus' ministry on earth came to an end, each nail that was driven into that cross called us 
to take up where he left off. Let's look at those nails and see what their meaning might be for us today. There were two nails that were driven through Jesus' hands, actually most likely through his wrists. And those nails that were driven there held back and restrained his hands of ministry. We see that two nails pierced the hands of the one who used those hands to heal the lepers and to heal the blind and the lame. Those two hands that had reached out to the lost and lonely with love and acceptance. Those hands that had fed thousands with with two fish and just a few loaves of bread. Those same hands were now fastened to a criminal's cross and held there securely by those two nails. Max Lucado wrote a book called Grace for the Moment. I don't know if you've read it or not. It's a really good read. In that book, he wrote this. When human hands fastened divine hands to the cross with spikes. It wasn't the soldiers who held the hands of Jesus steady. It was God who held them steady. Those same hands that formed the oceans and built the mountains, those same hands that designed the dawn and crafted each cloud, those same hands, he said, that blueprinted one incredible plan for you and me, and he was talking about God's plan of salvation for us. He said those same hands that had reached out in love to so many were now cruelly nailed to a cross of wood and could no longer reach out and minister to those in need. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that the resurrected Jesus now sits at the right hand of God in glory. And since he is not physically here, how is his mission to continue? How is his ministry going to be carried out? It's through us. We need to be the ones now who touch the sick, the hurting and the dying. We need to be the ones who who bring the little children to Jesus. We need to be the ones who restore hope to the hopeless. Our hands are now called to do the work of ministry. For far too long, too many people have thought that following Jesus simply meant dressing up on Sunday morning and sitting through a worship service. But Christ calls us to so much more than that. He calls us to roll up our sleeves and get dirty in the work of ministry. To leave the stained glass of the building so that we can be used to reach the stained lives of the people in our world. To get out of our comfort zones and lovingly share his message of hope. Honestly, most of the people in our community here, they probably don't care much about our church's history. They're not that concerned about what kind of music we play on Sunday mornings. It won't matter to them what kind of snacks or treats that we serve during our fellowship times, or even if the pastor of the church maybe preaches a good sermon every now and then. What they're waiting to see is whether or not our walk matches our talk. They want to know if the love, the mercy, and grace that we sing about in our hymns ever leaves the pews and gets out into the streets. They want to see if the love we sing about so often really gets put into action in their lives. So I think it's time we asked ourselves a serious question. When was the last time our hands did the work of Jesus? When was the last time we ministered to the unsaved? For some of you, it might have been yesterday I did that. Now, that's wonderful. For some of us, it might be, well, it's been a while. It's been a while. 
This week, this month, this new year, we need to make every effort to be the hands of Jesus to the lost and lonely in the world around us. His hands were nailed to the cross so that our hands could be freed up to serve him and to serve those whom he has placed in our lives. There was another nail that was driven into that cross, and it was driven through Jesus' feet. That nail effectively stopped his walk of service to the people around him. He said that he had come to seek and to save the lost. He now calls us to be his feet as well. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 9.23 that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let me remind all of us, myself included, where Jesus expects his followers to use their feet in following him. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, we call this the Great Commission. It tells us that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and we are to teach them all about Jesus. Our feet are to take us to all nations. Now, obviously, not everyone is called to go and be a missionary overseas, but we are called to be part of that mission work. That's one of the things I really love about the Church of the Lutheran Brethren. We have a great emphasis on missions. And we have people, people like the Zabodis and the Stantons and the Roses and the Narvisons who are being the Lord's feet for him and going to places like Chad, Africa to make disciples. We have people like the Bengtsons in Japan and the Hashes in Taiwan who are being the feet of Jesus in those places as well. And if we're not going ourselves, we're still called to be Christ's feet and supporting them financially and through our prayers. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his followers, just before he ascended into heaven, he told them that they were to be his witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. When Jesus told them that, where were his followers at that time? They were in Jerusalem. That's where they were to start, right where they were. Now, were some called to go a little further and reach out into all of Judea? Sure they were. Were some called to go even further and venture into what they thought as the despised land of the Samaritans? Yes, some were called to go there as well. Were some called, as those we just listed, to actually go to the very ends of the earth? Yes, they were. But everyone was called to be Christ's witnesses and to be his feet, to carry the good news right where they were. Some of them probably never left Jerusalem. Just like many of us will probably never leave Billings. But remember, he has called you to be his witness right here in Billings, right where you are. So you could kind of look at it as Billings is, is our Jerusalem, right? This is where we start. His feet were nailed to the cross. Our feet are then called to take his place and continue his mission of love, mercy, and grace. In Paul's letter to the church in Rome in chapter 10, he wrote these words. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless someone is sent? 
And then he quoted from Isaiah 52, verse 7, which says, How beautiful on the mountain are what? The feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring glad tidings, who proclaim salvation. We are called to be the feet of Jesus, since his feet were nailed to the cross for our sins. So my question is, where have our feet taken us for the kingdom of God? There was a fourth nail that was driven into Jesus' cross, and that fourth nail simply held up a sign. That sign there was supposedly to post the reason that whoever was hanging there was hanging there. Why is this person hanging there? Well, it was written on the sign. Well, John's Gospel, which we read earlier, told us that the sign was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek so that everyone would be able to read the message that was written there. And Pilate had ordered it to read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now when the chief priests of the law complained to Pilate, because they didn't like that, they said, no, no, the sign should read, this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. But Pilate answered them and said, what I've written, I've written. And it's amazing that what Pilate wrote was the absolute truth. Jesus was and is the king, not only of the Jews, but he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If you think about it, Jesus really deserved to be born in a palace, not in a lowly stable. He deserved to be sitting on a throne, not hanging on a cross. He was God incarnate, God come in human flesh. He was and is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, yet here he was nailed to a cruel cross for the sins of all mankind. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us what happened after Jesus died on the cross, rose again and ascended into heaven. And Paul wrote, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So yes, Pilate had the sign right. Jesus is the King. He is Lord of all. And we are called, just like that sign did, to let everyone know who Jesus really is. It's time for us to stand up and tell the world around us who Jesus really is. We are now the sign that was nailed to the cross. Earlier that week, on Palm Sunday, hundreds of people had lined the streets, and they were shouting praises to Jesus as he rode those, that donkey's colt down that road into Jerusalem on his way to the cross. See, but the people didn't think he was riding it on the way to the cross. They thought he was going to be their king. The people lining that street were hoping that he was coming to be their new king, that he would overthrow the Romans, that he would kick them out and free them. Sadly, they were probably some of those same people who had just given praise to him on Sunday that were now in the crowd some five days later shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! They were so ready to crown him as their king, see, but Jesus didn't come as the kind of king that they wanted him to be. They were looking for an earthly king to come in power and deliver them from the Romans. But Jesus had come as their heavenly king. He had come as a servant to deliver them from their sin. He had come to, to wash their feet, to love them as no one had ever loved them before. 
He had come not to be served as most kings want to be served. He said he had come to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He had come, as we read about in Isaiah this morning, to take up our infirmities and to carry our sorrows, to be pierced for our transgressions and to be crushed for our sins. He had come to take our punishment upon himself so that we could have peace with God once again. So let's not be like those fickle people who one day praised him and then the next day turned their backs on him. Because if we're honest with ourselves, it's really easy to praise the Lord when we gather together on Sunday mornings, isn't it? It's an easy thing to do. But it should be our mission to continue praising Him throughout the week and letting everyone around us know during the week who Jesus really is. That sign that was nailed to His cross should now be nailed to our hearts for all to see so that we may never forget that Jesus is indeed our King. Four nails that forever change the way that God ministers to a lost and dying world. Those nails fastened Jesus to the cross so his hands and his feet could no longer physically reach out to love those around him. We are now called to be the hands and feet of Jesus as he lives inside of us, to carry on his mission to a lost and lonely world that still desperately needs to hear the message of the gospel. Another book that Max Locato wrote is called He Chose the Nails. And in that book, Max wrote about our weaknesses. And he said that there's a list of our weaknesses. And he asked, would anybody like to see the list of your weaknesses? Would you like to have them made public? How would you feel if they were posted high so that everyone could see them? And he went on and he said, yes, there is a list of your failures. They've all been chronicled, all your shortcomings. And yes, that list has been made public, but you've never seen it. And neither have I. Then he said, come with me to the hill of Calvary, and I'll tell you why. He said, look up at that man on the cross. He said, look up there. Your mistakes are covered. Your sins are hidden. Those at the top are hidden by his hands. Those down the list, they're covered by his blood. Your sins are blotted out by Jesus. Max Lucado tells us that Jesus did this for us, and in fact, that Jesus himself chose the nails. He could have chosen to not go through with it. He could have any time, he could have called down 10,000 angels to come to his rescue. But he didn't. He didn't. He chose those nails because he loves us and because without those nails, we would have been lost in our sin forever. He went later on in his book, he said this. He said, God says, you wonder how long my love will last? Find your answer on a splintered cross on a craggy hill. He says, that's me you see up there, your maker, your God, nail-stabbed and bleeding, covered in spit and sin-soaked. That's your sin I'm feeling. That's your death I'm dying. That's your resurrection I'm living. That's how much I love you. And I find it sad that there are so many in our world today who are no longer moved by the story of God's love for mankind. But it is his story. And it is a story of love because he came to take our place. 
It began when Jesus came to earth to be born of a virgin, as we have just celebrated for weeks during Christmas. And it continues on as Jesus died as the substitute sacrifice for all of mankind. Our sins are what nailed Jesus to the cross. We deserved to hang there and suffer and die because of our sin. But Jesus took our place. He paid the penalty of sin for you and for me so that we could be forgiven. So that we could be reconciled to God and have new life again through faith in God's grace to us. And since He took our place, we are now called to take His place and carry on His mission. Those four nails that were driven into the cross have now laid the responsibility of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ on all who will take up their cross daily and follow him. We need to remember the message of those four nails. And as we come to the Lord's table together this morning, let us give thanks and remember what Christ has done for us by willingly choosing those nails and laying down his life so we might live. He took those nails for us on the cross of Calvary so that we might now live for him today. Please pray with me as we give thanks to God for his wonderful gift of grace to us and as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table together this morning. Oh Jesus, I thank you so much for taking my place my sins nailed you to that cross. I thank you for forgiving me of my sins, for covering my sins, for blotting them out with your blood. Help me and each one of us here to be your hands and feet, to carry the message of the gospel, the message of love and light to those around us who are living in this darkened world who so need to know you and to hear the message of your love for them. Lord, as we come to your table together this morning, we thank you. We remember all that you went through on our behalf to save us from our sins. And we ask you, Lord, to sanctify us through this sacrament. Lord, to draw us closer to you, to prepare us to go out into this world and be your hands and feet. Thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.